Luke chapter 12. Take your Bibles, if you would please turn there. I want to keep going to the book of Luke, and I find myself a little bit. We've already spent two weeks of uh, messages uh, on Sunday morning, Luke chapter 12, and, Luke, and, the, and then another message there. And quite frankly, I wanted just to kind of keep pushing on, and let's go into chapter 13 with that. I think the Holy Spirit does not want us to do that. I can give you a little overview, but I believe God wants us to stop and dig down a little deeper and to see the applications of the Scriptures. I love preaching here at First Baptist Church. It's my favorite place to preach. I have no place in the world that I'd like to go preach. And uh, I, I have the joy to preach in many places, and I'm humbled by that. But this is my favorite place. And if I could just speak here every time, I'd be happy about that. But I'm very grateful to speak with you because I know that you're a people who love the Word of God. And you love to hear the truth. And I appreciate your patience, your studious. This is a place where we bring our Bible. We preach the Bible. We look at the Scriptures and hopefully get a little bit of a pep talk at halftime so that we can go out and get some things done better in the world that we live in after we leave. Church is for Christians. If you're here and you're not for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven, we're glad that you're here, and we pray that you will get that settled today before you leave. But most everything we do in church, in praise, prayer, singing, uh, giving, listen to the Word of God, you wouldn't like it unless you're a true believer of Jesus Christ. It is, it's meant for Christians. The church is a called-out assembly of people who have already been saved. In some place in our world, they make a church so it makes the world feel good and makes it attractive for the world to come. And God's way of reaching people is with the love of God's people, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. When we come together, most everything we do in church is for people who have already accepted the Lord as their Savior. We have periodic years, and many people get saved every year. Hundreds of people get saved in the services of our church. And especially on churches' days like Friend Day, or if we have a special emphasis at Christmas or Easter, in which we invite our friends to come. And we have people right now who have got their co-workers here in the service today, and we're glad everybody comes. But primarily what we do in a church service is done for God's people in worship and response to God. And I'm glad you're here today, and I pray that God will use the service to be a blessing to you. In our study of Luke chapter 12, and of course, just a reminder, Luke is two, two of our books is written by this particular man. He was a medical physician. He was a doctor. But he traveled with the Apostle Paul and maybe have been supplemented or paid by a man named Theophilus. He could have been a, an aristocrat in the, aristocrat in the um, Roman government, but he had deep pockets, obviously. He had a love for God and, and may have supported the Apostle Paul, excuse me, supported Luke to care for the Apostle Paul. Because the Paul, it looks like Luke came on our page of our Bible somewhere near Philippi, and maybe in the school of Tyrannus, whenever Paul was teaching there, Tyrannus was known to be possibly a medical doctor who had a school in Rome and then set up another school in Ephesus. And he allowed Paul to use that building and that school to teach many leaders. It may have been there that Luke and Paul got together. And Paul, Luke would spend the rest of his life caring for him. And he would do much research and be used by God as a teacher to log information that is very unique. Uh, as much as 40%, some say as much as 60% of the book of Luke is original to what he found out and was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to put in, in holy writ. Then, of course, the book of Acts is a presentation of what God did in the lives of believers after Jesus went back to heaven. The book of Acts can be summarized in chapter 1, Jesus goes up 
Chapter 2, God's Spirit comes down. Chapter 3, His people that are saved go out and begin to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And uh, it concludes with, with Paul being in, the, in uh, house arrest in Rome as he finishes Acts chapter 28. But the instrument of Luke. By the way, all of us have gifts and strengths. We'll talk about that tonight in the service a little bit more as we talk about the spiritual gifts that God gives to every believer in Romans chapter 12 and specifically. But you know, we're all members of one body. We don't have the same office. We have different strengths and gifts that God made us to do. And happy and fulfilled is the Christian who finds out what God wants them to do, what they're good at, and they stay in their lane. And they do what God made them good at. And oh, there's all kinds of gifts. There are people who are very good at different things. Now, all of us have a responsibility to strive, to thrive, excuse me, to strive for all the things that God has for us, but to thrive in, in certain gifts that God has given us. I'm glad Luke did that, aren't you? In the book of Luke, chapter number 12, we see in the first two sections of Luke, chapter 12, he, he speaks to the people about dealing with fear. He is specifically talking to his own disciples and his apostles who would be sent out. To, he said, look, one thing you're going to have to deal with when I go back to heaven is going to have to deal with fear because you are going to be a minority in a world that's a majority against me while there's a minority with me. He said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Most people are going to hell in a handbasket. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few to be to find it, and the majority will be against the minority. And they'll be coming against it, and you've got to deal with fear. Whenever you're witnessing, whenever you're living the Christian life, whenever you have divisions that's going to come against you, he's telling them, listen, I don't want you to be afraid. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We're on two different tracks. We're marching to the beat of a different drum. And he says, I don't want you to be afraid while uh, serving me. The second thing he tells them in this chapter, he gives credence to the fact that all of us, we have to watch out for fear. We have to watch out for covetousness. Because a man's life does not consist of the things that he possesses. Now, all of us have money on the brain. All, money is in the middle of everything that we do. Even as a pastor this week, I could probably give you 25 things that I did that revolved the finances of our church. And I can probably give you 50 things I thought about for my own personal finances and how I thought about money. And you can too. All of us have thought about money already this morning. And it's not wrong. Matter of fact, the Lord Jesus said, where a man's treasure is, there his heart will be also. And he tells them, because right in the middle of his preaching, a guy said, hey, can you divide with me the inheritance of me and my brother? Talk to my brother that he gives me a clear cut and an equal cut of my dad's inheritance. And Jesus said, look, man, that's not going to be something I'm going to do. I'm not a judge among them. I'm not going to waste my time with that. And he segues into a story of a rich young ruler and a, and a man who is a wise, he is a, he's a very wealthy fool. Because he saw all that God had blessed him with, and he just said, I'm just going gonna, gonna to take all that I've been given and build it up so I can be happy and I can be safe and I can live a long life with ease and eat and drink and be merry. And then God says to him, you're an idiot. You're a fool. Because you're going to die tonight. And then where are all the things you labored for and stored up? Who are the, whose are those going to be? He said, I want you, to, I want you as my servants of Christ you got to have money, but don't make money your master. Make it your servant. 
and find out the understanding of, of stewardship. Everything we have belongs to God. You don't own anything if you're a child of God. You don't even own yourself. You're bought with the price. The house you live in, it's not supposed to be your house. You can think it's your house, but it's not. If you're a child of God, that belongs to God. Your kids are, are God's kids. Your health is not your health. It's God's health. Everything we have is, comes from the Lord. He says, look, so you've got to figure this out. And you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid about food. If I can take care of sparrows, I can take care of you. Don't be afraid about fashion. If I can clothe the flowers that don't think about that, I can take care of you. Don't be afraid about fitness. Take care of the body God gave you, but you can't add another inch to your height if you wanted to, or a cubit. You can't make yourself taller or shorter. Those are things that God chose for you. Don't, make, don't spend a lot of time worrying about that. Don't worry about finances. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all those other things are going to come. Don't worry about the future. Don't take a thought for tomorrow. For sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. And he reminds them about that. Once again, if you're a child of God and a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ, he wants you to think differently than this world thinks. So he is now talking to disciples. He's not talking to the world at large. He's talking to the disciplined followers of Jesus. He said, look, these are some things. Don't be afraid. Don't be caught up with finances and materialism. Use it. Don't let it use you. You be its master. Don't let it master you. You be, you be sure that you're a steward and not an owner of what, what God's given you. And he concludes that statement with what we talked about already today. Let's pick up in our Bibles, Luke chapter 12, verse number 18. Then said he unto, excuse me, I've got the wrong verse here. How about that? Let's get me get right there. Verse 31. But rather seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And fear not, little flock. He talks to us as a little flock. He said, you're a small group in the midst of a big world, but don't be afraid. It is your father's good pleasure to give unto you the what? Kingdom. Where there's a kingdom, there's a king. And he's supposed to be the king. And he says, don't be afraid. Live for me. Put your focus on eternal things. And I got something for you. The, 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 the loving father wants to give to you the kingdom, and that's a large future for you and I. Now, verse number 33, he said, sell what that which you have, give alms, provide for yourselves bags that wax not old, and treasures in heaven that faileth not, where there is no thief or approacheth or your moth that corrupteth. He said, don't, don't try to get the all you can, can all you get, and sit on your can and tell people how much you have in your can. He said, don't spend your life doing that. He said, don't, don't keep putting them in bags that just go right through, that, that wax old and have, have a, no, you keep on, keeping the eternal focus while you are in this world. He's telling his people this. And by the way, I think it's very applicable to me and to you today. Look at the next verse, verse 34. Read it with me, everyone. A classic verse. It should be underlined in every Bible, in my opinion. For where you're... So he ends out his, con his conversation about covetousness and fear. And now he's going to talk about responsibility and requirements. You'll see in verse 48, he says, to whom much is given, much is required. He's going to talk about what is our responsibility? What do we need to do here as we wait for God's Son from heaven? In the following verses, there are heavy overtones of what is going to take place during the tribulation period and very Jewish in nature, in my opinion. I think you can see in, in Revelation 
chapters 6 and 7 and and then also in 19, you're going to see there are heavy overtones. I think Jesus is in primary context telling us, look, these are my people. You're going to go through this. I want you to keep this in mind as, uh, as we wait for a son from heaven. Just remind yourself this. In the Bible, Jesus is coming. He's come to the earth three times. Number one, he came to his own. And his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. So the first time he comes, he comes to his own, and he comes to give his life a ransom for many, as the picture we saw in the song, that he loved us through the cross. So the first time he came to his own. The second time he is coming for his own. That is what you and I biblically are waiting for. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2, and a matter of fact, the whole book of 1 Thessalonians talks about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. One thing you cannot ignore if you read the Bible is that Jesus is coming again. And you're going to either meet God in person through death or through the rapture. The rapture is a word that God does not use in that word in our English language and in our Bible, but it means the catching away, to be caught up with the Lord in the air. And so he's going to come for his own. Now, if he came this morning, I hope all of you would be with him. It would it'd be a very bad situation for Jesus to come and you not go with him. He wants you to be there. If you don't go with Jesus, you've done, you've done so against his will. He wants you to go with him. And I don't think you should be afraid about that, but if you have nervousness about it, we ought to talk about it, get it settled. That the biggest mistake in the world is to go to hell over a mistake. Make sure you know that you've exchanged your sin for God's Son. It doesn't take a lot uh, to be saved. It takes nothing but faith in what God did. It's not something you do. It's something He already has done. And putting your faith in Jesus Christ. But when He comes a second time, He's coming for His own. And then He'll take them, and there is what God will call the marriage supper of the Lamb, the judgment seat of Christ, and seven years in which this world is going to cry, Uncle. He is going to bring them through uh, his funnel of wrath. And he's going to bring the world system back under his control. Right now, we understand that Satan is the prince and power of the air. He is the ruler of darkness. He has a lot of influence in this world today. And that's going to change. That's going to change in those seven years, definitely. We see the wrath of God, his vials poured out, his judgment poured out on mankind. And there will be. They'll cry for the rocks to fall upon them. And during that time, I think many people will come to know the Lord as their Savior. I'm glad I will not be there. I will not be there. And anyone who is saved prior to the rapture will not be in the tribulation period. But we find in Revelation chapter 7, there will be people. That's why God sends 144,000 witnesses, Jewish witnesses, men who are committed to Christ to go to, the, to, to tell folks about the Lord, to woo their hearts to Christ, especially the Jewish faith, the Jewish people, God's people. He'll work with them and he wants to bring them to the Lord. But then the third time he comes back, he comes back uh, with his own. He comes to his own, for his own in the rapture, and then he'll come back with his own to rule and reign in this world for a thousand years. 
and then we'll be forever with the Lord after that. Now, that's a wonderful future, and that's something God underlines. He makes specific that you understand that, that a, a million years from this day, you either all that's going to matter for you is where you live, in heaven with God or in hell without him. What will matter also is how you lived if you're a child of God what you do. And that is why Jesus is staring into the eyes of his apostles. He, I think, from verse 22 to verse 40, he's talking specifically to his disciples. In verse number 22, you'll see, and he said this to his disciples. He said, I'm talking to you. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be covetous. I don't want you to neglect your responsibilities. Look, if you would please, he says, here's our responsibilities. While we wait for his son from heaven, here he says, I think once again, it has overtones of the tribulation period, but it certainly has application for our day and age. And we look in verse number 35. He said, let your, he, verse 34, he says, your tre- where your treasure is, your heart be also. He said, so, and based upon that, let your loins be girded about and your lights be burning. And that loins are girded about, we don't use that too much, but most of our men here have a belt on. And in the Bible, a belt is called a girdle. It's something that goes around your waist. And men in, in the Middle Eastern times, if you were to go to Egypt, as I've been numbers of times, go to the Middle East, you'll see oftentimes people from, for years ago, they have, they have a, a long flowing garment that they will wear over their clothes. And when the sand hits them and things of that nature in, the, in, that, in that region, it doesn't affect them as much. And they have usually a couple of, uh, couple of garments but if, they, if their loins girded up, basically, they would, you can't run well with that all hanging on you. So your loins girded up, they would take, their, take their, their, their clothes, put them underneath there, and tuck them into their belt so that they would have uh, breeches or, or a, uh, a pleat in the middle. So they would put them together, and they put them all in here so they could run, so they could get someplace much faster. Or if they're going to work in a field or work on something, they would normally, if they're going to do something that's going to be um, tenuous or, or challenging, they would gird up their loins. That means they would take their, their clothes, and they would make sure that there was, a, there was a divider between the two, and they would tuck it into their, to their belt all around their body so that they have freedom to move about a readiness. He says, look, based upon what I'm telling you, I want you to be ready in this time, in this state, to serve the Lord. I want you to be ready. Number two, he wants you to be radiant. He said, I don't I'll not only want you to be ready, put your loins girded about with truth, but I want you to make sure your light is shining. Look at verse number 35. Let your loins be girded about and your lights be what? Burning. He said, I want you, while you living in this world, I want you to be ready to serve the Lord, and I want your light to be burning. I want you to be ready and radiant. He says in Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, you and I sometimes are the only Bible this careless world will read. We're the sinner's gospel. We're the scoffer's creed. We're the Lord's last message, given in deed and word. What if the print is crooked? What if the type is blurred? What if our hands are busy doing other things than his? What if our feet are walking where sin's allurement is? What if our lips are speaking of things this life would spurn? How can we work with our Savior and welcome his return? Listen, the the guy at work may not ever come into a building like this and hear the gospel, but he's got you. Man, the the ladies in your neighborhood that have kids like you do, they may not ever get into a church service to hear the gospel. They may not listen to a radio broadcast, but they got you. And God wants you to get your light on and shine it. 
Don't put it under a bushel of work. Don't put it under a bed of leisure. But let your light so shine before men. Young people, listen to me. Don't wait. When I get old, then I'm going to start being a witness. Be a witness today. There are people that you can speak to that mom and dad or grandpa and grandma, they wouldn't listen to them, but they'll listen to you. Put your light on. Get ready to serve him. And he's telling his disciples, listen, you've got responsibility. You know what most people just think about? Them. They think about their next bill, their next toy, their next buy. They think about their, 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 their next thing. And, and, and by the way, we've got to think about some of those things. But don't do it at the, at the expense of realizing you're supposed to be ready and radiant in a dark world that needs somebody that can move about. Somebody who is ready to be used by God. Look at the next verse if we can, please. We're looking at verse number 36. And ye yourselves are likened to men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. This, I think, is why I say the overtones are from the tribulation period, that he's speaking about the wedding and speaking to those who've getting saved in the tribulation period. You're waiting for the Lord Jesus, to come back from the marriage supper of the Lamb. And when he cometh and he knocketh, that you may be open unto him immediately. Be Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. There's two W words we've seen there. Have you seen the first one? What's the first one? In verse number 36. Wait. What's the second one in 37? Watching. Verily I say unto you that he that girds himself and maketh himself to sit down to meet will come forth and serve him. And if ye, if ye shall come into the second watch or come the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. In military terms, there were two watches that he's referencing here. The first watch is from nine o'clock at night till midnight. That is, that is really, and usually most parties will end sometime between 9 and midnight if you were to have receptions or things of that nature in that oriental culture. But the dangerous watch of the night was midnight to 3 o'clock in the morning. That was where the hoodlums come out. That's where there's a little bit more challenging, especially in the militia or in, in a military setting. That was a time where you had, you had some bad dudes that would possibly come out and cause some trouble. It's probably the time if you were a police officer or things of that nature that you probably would not. Uh, that's the time where you have to be very alert because you know you got some drunks on the streets. You know you got some bad dudes out uh, creating, creating some drugs. He said, whether I come in the second watch or the third watch, I want you to be watching. I want you to be waiting. Let's continue on if we can, please. Verse number, um, verse number 39, And this know that if the good man of the house hath known the hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not suffered his house to be broken through. Verse number 40, would you read it with me? But ye, therefore, ready also. He said, I want you to be ready. Now, once again, I think this is somewhat overtones of the tribulation period. Now, there will be many people who will disagree with what pastor's telling you, but I think there's enough, there's enough uh, light here. I'm not going to spend the time on a Sunday morning to walk through that. However, I think there's great application for our day and time. Whether you're waiting for the, for the Lord Jesus to come back with his saints after the tribulation in the battle of Armageddon, or you are waiting for the rapture of the church as we are, I still think we have some of the same responsibilities. Number one is to gird up our loins of faith and, and be faithful while we wait. Number two is to keep your light on. 
Keep your light shining in your neighborhood, at your work, in your family. Keep being a good testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Be ready and be radiant. Then he uses two terms, wait. Number two, watch. It's interesting what Jesus said to the disciples the night before he would go to the cross. Watch and pray. He wants us to be alert. Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 5, be the sober, be vigilant, because you have an adversary, the devil, who walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He said, I want you to be alert. I want you to be anticipating the coming of Christ. I think it's very important that everyone who's truly saved anticipate the coming. If you're not anticipating it, there's issues. If you don't think mom and dad are coming home and they told you to clean the front yard and do this thing and they said, well, get this done when I get back. If you don't think they're coming home, you're probably going to be sitting on the couch watching, watching cartoons, eating bonbons. But if you know they're coming back, you're going to get up and get going. You've got a job to do. He said, I want you to watch and wait because you don't know when the Lord is coming back. He said he's going to come uh, in, in, like a thief in the night. Both uh, Peter and Paul mentioned that in their epistles. He said, he doesn't tell you. He doesn't say, okay, I'll be at your house at 2 o'clock and rob your house. Are you ready for me? No, they come unexpected. And, of course, Jesus is not a thief, but he's going to come unexpected. At an hour that you think not. I remember being in Bible college here. Brother Gottfried was our teacher for uh, evangelistic uh, teaching people how to be saved, leading people to Christ. And I remember one day he asked a question that probably we all should know, and no one knew the answer. And I remember him saying, he asked a question. Who knows the answer to this question? No one raised their hand. And he said, ho, ho. And he ran over to the window. He started looking up into the sky. We're all, it got all of our attention. Like, what in the world's happened to our teacher? He said, brother, brother Godfrey, what are you doing? That may be on your question. I said, oh, yeah, it was all over me. I was like, what is he doing? He said, I am looking for the Lord to come. You say, Brother Godfrey, why would you look for the Lord to come? Because the Bible says that the hour that you think not, the Son of Man cometh, and you're not thinking. And, and uh, I remember him telling us that. And I said, well, he said, maybe the Lord will come because we're not thinking right now. But the truth of the matter is God wants us. Laura, are you trying to help, you trying to help me preach my message today, Laura? Yeah. I can tell. But there's not, I got the microphone. <laughs> you're such a sweet lady. We thank God for you, Laura. Nonetheless, the Bible tells us, I want you to be waiting and watching for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to anticipate it. You know what? When you're anticipating the coming of Christ, you live a lot higher. When you're excited about him coming, you can't wait for him to get there. Because when he comes, you'll see him as he is and you'll be like him. And if you have that hope inside of you, 1 John tells us, I want you to live pure even as he is pure. Now, some people live such low, wicked lives. Some of us, we watch things on our television this week we should have never watched. And there are times if we were close to Christ, we would never put that in our eye gate. There's some of you got things on your phone, your Pandora, and your Spotify that you know that grieve the Lord. You know one of the reasons you listen to that? Some folks have texted people and done things this week in, 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 in private, you think. Nothing's in private. All things are naked and open to the eyes of whom we have to do. Some of us, we have said things and, and jo- laughed at jokes we shouldn't have laughed at, listened to things we shouldn't have listened. You know why? Because we don't believe that God is coming. Because when you know God is coming, when you're watching and waiting, you'll elevate the way you behave yourself. And you'll get ready, and you'll be radiant for the Lord. 
I think it's one of the things that's the sad thing about our church and many churches and Christians, including this pastor. Sometimes I just kind of let it go in my back burner and it needs to be on the front burner of my life. Let's continue on to look at this just for a second and our time is up. Verse 41, then Peter said, Lord, speakest this parable unto us or even unto all? I said, Lord, are you talking to us or are you talking to everybody? Is this a general thing? And the Lord uses this to catapult him into another story. And I'll just tell you, there's just three people here. I want you to notice one is the faithful servant. He said, when I come back, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give to you. Verse 42, and the Lord said, who is then a faithful and wise steward? That's who you want to be, a faithful and wise manager of what God's given you. Whom his Lord will make ruler of his household and give him their portions of meat and due season. He says, you know what? Who's that person who is faithful and continues being faithful to the Lord? Blessed is that servant. Verse 43, whom the Lord cometh will find him so doing. And by the way, that's the third W. Watching, waiting, and working. Every saint ought to be a servant. Every member ought to be a minister. Everybody, one of the things I loved about Youth Conference this year, and I just want to say to the church family how thankful I am for you, is that I think we have a record number. Brother Eddie said this. He said, I feel like, Pastor, I don't know when we've had more of a larger percentage of our church family participate in Youth Conference than we did this year. Huge blessing. Huge blessing. Because whoever does the will of God understands it better. And whoever does it gets rewarded for it. There is no reward for well done, thou good and faithful spectator. I watched a lot go on at that church. Look, and I'm glad. Get involved. Give, pray, participate. He said, if I can find a faithful and wise servant who gets involved, I will reward them. And many people don't serve God because they don't trust his rewarding process. They want to see the rewards right now. It's delayed gratification. But there is blessings in this life too. Peter will say in Mark chapter 10, he said, Lord, you're talking about rewarding people. What are we going to get? Me and my 11 other friends who have left all and followed thee. He said, what's in it for us? And he said, there is not a man alive who has left anything for my sake in the gospel that I will not reward him 10,000%. 100-fold. Not only in the life to come, but in this life as well in houses and lands and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, you'll get in on what God is doing worldwide while you live here and in eternity future. Many of us hear that and say, well, maybe, I don't know if that would work for me. You know how to know it will work for you if you do it? <laughs> and if you have a good opinion of the God who made that promise. Most of us rip ourselves off, we short-sheet ourselves because we're not willing to wait, to watch, and to work because we do not believe in God's rewarding process. I want you to notice the next guy is an idiot. He's a foolish person. Look here in the Bible real quickly, and we need to close. Look at verse number 43, would you? Verse, I'm sorry, verse 44. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him a ruler over all that he has. He says, anyone who serves me with faith and wisdom, I'll bless them. They're faithful. Verse 45, but... If that servant say, where? In his heart. My Lord delayeth his coming. He's not coming back anytime soon. I'm not sure. He said he's coming back, but I, ah, it's going to be later. I'm not in a hurry. If he says in his heart, you know, I know the Lord's coming back. I've been saying that for years, you know, but I got my own plan going on. I got things I want to do. 
if he delays his, in his heart saying, the Lord's not coming back, I don't have that accountability anytime soon anyway, and shall begin to beat his men servants and his maidens, and eat and drink and be drunken, really obsess himself with selfishness and sin. What happens to that person? The Lord of that servant, the Lord Jesus, will come in a day when he looketh not for him, because he's not watching, waiting, or working. And at the hour when he is not aware, he will cut him asunder and appoint him in a portion with the unbelievers. I do not believe this is talking about an unsaved person. Unbelievers in other places, unfaithful. Someone who is not faithful. He said, but if, if, if the person says, you know what? Hang it. I, don't, I know everybody loves to serve Christ. And he, he's going to take care of them right. I'm good. I got my own plans. And you don't treat your brothers and sisters right and you live for just the next party to eat, drink, and be merry. He said, then, when the Lord does come back, you're not going to be expecting him. And then he will deal with you with great loss. I don't think the person's going to hell if they're truly saved. But they're going to say, good night in the morning. What was I thinking? You know what you're thinking? You're thinking that you had no accountability to God to watch, to wait, and to work. God wants to be on your radar 24-7. And he has great rewards for the faithful. He has great loss and punishment for the lazy and the lackadaisical and the apathetic servant. I don't want to be in that group. And quite frankly, I don't want you to be there. All of us, all the way. All of us serving the Lord faithfully, waiting, anticipating his coming, watching with an awareness he could come at any time and serving him with faithfulness because he is faithful. 